Hey, so um, so I went to University of Georgia as part of the Wesley Foundation uh, there, and never forget. Uh, I forget. I don't know what year I was. I think I was on staff, maybe. And um, and Micah Eldridge uh, came into the ministry. A lot of you knew him before I did. He grew up at First Methodist and was a part of this whole group of people. And he came to George. I did not know him. And so slowly over time, we began to build a relationship. And it's one of those things, obviously, with Mike, if you know him, right, it's like this, this journey that Mike has been on in his life has been a beautiful one of, of really growing into this man who just really, man, chases after God's heart. And so in that season of Wesley, man, just grew a lot of my respect. And so when I talk about being excited that Mike is here, honestly, it's, I, I really mean that. It's not just saying that because I'm supposed to because I'm on the stage with the microphone. No, I, like when I heard he was speaking this year, there was an excitement because I've, I've watched Micah. Uh, we've kind of journeyed together, right? I'm a little bit older than him, but I've got to journey with him and watch him uh, as he took over this freshly ministry at Wesley. I don't know, but some of you literally, you're, you should thank Micah at the, at the end of the night because your children may have been influenced by him during their time at Wesley. I was literally sitting here going, my gosh, I mean, I wonder how many dads here have kids who were influenced by Micah when he was there, right? And your kids are walking with Jesus because when they get around Micah, they fall more in love with Jesus because Micah's one of those kind of guys. Today, he's in Omaha, Nebraska, the home of the Cornhuskers, and he is serving at LifeGate as a campus pastor, kind of in the mid-city area around Dundee, which is where we used to live for a couple of years, uh, and killing it, right? He's working with Les Beecham, some of you know that name from back in camp days and stuff, and so it's one of those deals when I talk all the time about people that I admire, I look up to, Les has always been one of those guys, and so when Les brought him on, I'm like, oh my gosh, he stole a good one, right? But he sees the same thing in Micah that we all see, man, it's a man after God's own heart, he truly is. Like his brother's name is David, but Micah's really like David and the Bible, and um, and so in that now Micah really does. We have a, has a heart after has a heart after Jesus, and so when he's here this weekend. My expectation uh, is for Jesus just to do what he wants to do through Micah. So, Micah, why don't you go ahead and come? I'm going to pray for you. But as he comes, I want to ask you just and invite you. Look, literally every time that we begin to meet, I I just want to invite you to open your heart and say, Jesus, whatever you want to say through Micah, I want to hear everything. I want to hear everything. And so I'm going to pray for him, and he's going to dive in. Micah, we are really, really glad that you were here, and I love you. Let me pray for you. So, Father, I do. I thank you for Micah. Uh, God, I thank you for his wife, Shireen. Uh, I pray, Father, is that they're back in Omaha. I pray a blessing upon Shireen and the kids, that, Lord, just be a great weekend with Mom, and that Father wouldn't get too crazy, um, and that they would be blessed. And I pray as Micah is here, Lord, I, I pray, God, just being around in a place that's home, I pray, Father, you would calm his heart and open up his ears to hear, and God, that as he speaks, that he would receive as much from you as we receive uh, from you through him. We pray blessings upon him in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate that. How are y'all doing? Good, good. It's awesome to be here. I'm going to do a little rearranging. Bo's mouth is taller than my head, so I'm going to, so it doesn't cast a shadow. And what is this over here? Just, I'm curious, the bass man, what is that? Josh. Is Josh still here? Did he walk? Huh? Yeah, what's this? Ah. <laughs> nice. I like it. All right. I hope it's okay that I moved it. I'll set it right here by your, your pedals. 
Yeah, okay, all right, it's cool, it's great. I just didn't know if I could touch it or not, it's great. Well, it is it's awesome to be here with y'all. First of all, thank you for having me, Jim, and those who put this together. Um, thanks for inviting me. I, I was able to speak here last year for a session. How many of y'all were here last year for that, okay? Um, so it was, it was one of my highlights of, of the year. Some of you might think, well, you need to get a life if that was one of your highlights, but it really was. Like it's being here um, in this location. Um, this is a location that has God's met me at many, many times throughout my adolescent years and into college. I'm at this camp through different summer camps. Um, but more importantly than this location are these people and really this spiritual community that I really kind of consider my home spiritual community, though the faces and names have changed a little bit. There's still some pillars among us, and I'm just so, so grateful um, for the men who invested in me in really formative years of my life and the opportunity to come back here and share is pretty humbling, and it's very exciting, and, and I'm excited for what God has for every single one of us. I, I think he, he wants to meet us here. As Steve said earlier, um, God, as we retreat, as we pull back from our normal lives and the demands and the schedules and all the things that our minds are often on, um, we're able now to, to slow down a little bit and just to breathe and receive. And so what I want us to do, I'm going to pray and just kind of give us a moment um, because I want you to think about why you are here. Why are you here? There's some of you are here because a friend encouraged you or a spouse encouraged you and, and so you took that step. Others of you are here because you just do whatever the church does, right? Like it's just, you're just steady, you're faithful, you're available and you're gonna sign up for whatever they offer. Um, some of you may be here because of a crisis type situation or, or maybe you really need to hear God on something. Um, he needs to speak right now. He needs to move right now. He needs to, to act right now in your life. Um, and there may be some other reason. Those are three of the big ones that come to my mind. And, and, and here was kind of the, the, the word that I felt like the Lord gave me for y'all as I was preparing this morning is, is that this weekend, it's, it's just, it's just going to be, it's just a few hours, right? It's 36 hours or so. Um, but, but, but that it would be like wind to your sails, some of you are, are already kind of on the right path and you're moving in God, but, but this is just another gust of wind that will move you a little bit further down your journey or maybe a little bit faster or maybe get you through something. Um, some of you, um, you've lost steam and it's felt like maybe the wind hasn't blown in quite a while. And, and maybe this is a new gust and it's the gust that you'll need. And in others of you, um, it, it could be that you've gotten off course. And there's a gust that's going to redirect you back into the path that he has for you. But I believe that, that this, is, this is for every single one of you, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life. There, there's a wind that God wants to move, that the Spirit of God wants to move in your life. Um, and all you have to do is put up your sail. All you have to do is put up your sail, but you do have to put up your sail. And that, that might look like leaning in a little bit in worship. Um, it may look like um, listening here um, as I share. Um, it may look like being kind of vulnerable in your small group. That may be a big piece of it. It may be in, in the cabin um, ha having a conversation with someone, even when you're kind of tired, but you kind of feel something stirring and you need to talk about something. It, it may be over breakfast, but I, I know we all have expectations when we come to places like this. this. And I, I just believe that the wind will blow if you put up your sail. And so I'm going to pray, and we're just really just going to get quiet is all we're going to do. And I want to encourage you, one, to think about why you're here, and two, um, just a willingness in your heart before the Lord to say, I'll put up my sail for the next day and a half. I'll put up my sail. So let's just get quiet real quick, and then I'll, I'll pray and bring us back together.
Holy Spirit, we need you. We believe that you're among us. Lord, we can't live this life without a knowledge of your love, without an understanding of your voice, and without a life filled with your power. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come and you would do that among us, that you would blow your wind into our lives, that we wouldn't stay where we are, that we would move forward in you, Jesus, into the fullness, into the freedom that you came to make available to us on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would not live half-hearted Christian lives, that we would not live mediocre lives, that we would not live average lives. But God, would you move us in these next many hours, Lord, to, to lift our sail, to be open to whatever it is you want to say, do, act in our lives. And God, would you move us forward into the journey you have for us. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to set the stage with a few things, and tonight may be a little bit longer than the next three sessions, but, but I kind of want to lay some, some groundwork and some foundation. So one of the first things I want to say is, is I want to make a distinction for us, because I believe a lot of you probably know and love and follow Jesus. Some of you may not have yet made that decision, or not in a way that's very real or very personal or very current in your life. And, and, and so we're, we're all probably in, in very different places, but I want to make a distinction between um, morality and maturity, just real quick. Right? Morality is just being a good person, right? And, and trying not to kill people and steal is really kind of what it comes down to, be faithful to your wife, those types of things. And, and morality is a command in Scripture. It's pretty clear. It's pretty black and white. And many times in our relationship with Jesus, that's where we stop is with the standard of morality. I'm a decent person. I'm pretty good. I haven't done anything that could get me thrown in jail. If I have, I've confessed. I've gotten back to just kind of being decent. I try not to disturb the peace. A lot of times this is where we live our Christian life, but there's actually so much more on the other side of morality, those commands, and it's maturity. Now, maturity is not a command. Maturity is an invitation, and you can have as much of it as you want. It's things like freedom, it's things like fullness, it's things like love and joy and peace. These are all the things that Jesus came to do for us and came to promise and win for us on the cross through his death and then his resurrection. And they're all available at the measure that you may want them. The measure that you're willing to throw up your sail and let God move in your life. And so what, what I want to commend you for is showing up on a weekend where you can grow in your maturity. Because this was an invitation. You didn't have to be here. Maybe some of you did. Maybe for some of you, your wife was like, come, go or else. I don't know. We can talk later if that's you. But, but for many of you, I'm sure you, you just made a decision to come and you didn't have to. You accepted the invitation. And I believe, when, when I say maturity, I don't mean like, like socially you've got it together or you're kind of, you're, you're, you kind of play it cool, right? I, what I mean by maturity is you're living in the fullness that God has for you. And you've said yes to the invitation and you've shown up and you've driven through Atlanta and you've driven through the rain to get here. And so maturity in Christ is on tap for you. 
and it's available for you. And I believe there's some great things God's going to do as we talk through what it really looks like to journey with Jesus is really what we're going to be talking about. What does it look like to journey with Jesus? And I want to lay out my story to you, and I'll just kind of begin on the confession level that I have had since the very beginning of time that I can remember. I've always had a temper. I was born with a temper. I don't know that I created a temper. I've just always had a temper. My brother can tell you stories about my temper, times he locked me out of the house and I punched through the window to get in or, you know, different things. I remember something he and my sister used to do is they would rile me up and get me like wild, wild crazy because they knew I wanted to charge at them with my head. And then so rile me up and then they would kind of back up and let me charge. And then they would just step out of the way and see what I'd run into. These were like some of my childhood memories of, of my temper. I mean, I was, it, it did not take much to get me going. And, and I, I didn't have the wits and the wisdom at that age to figure out what they were doing. I just bought, I just took the bait. Um, when I was in high school, it, it, it was a little bit, I played it a little bit more cool, but I think it was like on the soccer field. Matt Allen, maybe you can attest to this. I would get in fights on the soccer field. I had a bad mouth on the soccer field. It, it's just always been a part of my life. And then I got into my 20s. And in my 20s, I really gave my life to Jesus in a real way. I really began to know him personally and experience his love and experience kind of some healing and some identity formation and begin to really understood what it meant to be a man of God. And, and it st- kind of started to come together. And one of the things I noticed was I think I kind of dealt with my temper. Like I think God has dealt with, like I, I can't remember my last outburst. I can't remember my last embarrassing moment. I can't remember the last thing I've said to someone that I need to go back and, and apologize for. And I was on a pretty good show streak there for a while. And then I had kids, right? I had children and I can still remember on like night three of my first child who was crying through the night, feeling like I, I will, I have to hand you off right now. Like shaken baby syndrome all of a sudden makes sense to me. And I, I feel the temptation here. I got to give you to my wife. And, and it's like it all started to rise in me again. And, and it's, it's kind of, it was embarrassing for me to admit because it felt childish. It felt silly. It felt like something that, Mike, can't you just like calm down? Just have a little patience. Like they're just children, right? It's just a baby. We went in to, we continued into our parenting world. We wound up having four kids in about five and a half years. And we, we lived um, at a pace that was very, very full. And I continued to battle temper issues. I continued to battle impatience. I continued to battle outbursts towards my children in, in ways that I would have to go back and seek their forgiveness for. And I prayed and I read the Bible and I fasted and I confessed and I asked for, for people to pray for me. I did all the things I knew to do and yet nothing was really happening. And then I remember a particular night in 2016, I think it was around the spring of 2016, my wife was away at work and I was alone with all four kids and they all just had a lot of demands and I'd had a long, long day at work and it's dinner and then it's getting everybody bathed and it's getting everybody clean, it's getting everybody's teeth brushed and it's getting them to bed. It was chaotic night, nobody was doing what I asked them to do. Everyone at that point was nine and under or eight and under and it, it was just a rough, rough night. And one of my kids, my, my third kid, Hutch, who is about the nicest, most compliant child you'll ever be around in your life, he, he did something that just triggered me. It wasn't even a big deal. It just triggered me. And I grabbed him and I yelled at him and he cried and screamed and I told him to be quiet and, and I just completely lost it on him. 
And as soon as I stepped back and, and kind of got it together, it was, it was the worst moment of my parenting life. I just, I, I came to a point of brokenness and I pulled him into the bathroom and, and we had a good cry together and he told me how scared he was of me. It's an awful, awful thing to hear your five-year-old say. And, and I sought his forgiveness and, and I hugged him and, and, and we prayed together and I sent him to bed and I went downstairs and I called a friend who's a counselor and I said, I need help. Like, I can't do this. Any, like, I don't know what more to do to get better. I was at a crisis, right? It finally gotten to the point where it wasn't just, hey, you need to calm down or, hey, you know, kids are tough or, hey, you know, it's this stressful season of life. But it was like, I can't go on living like this for the sake of the people around me. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where you've, you've gotten to the end of everything you know how to do. And there's just, there, there's just nowhere else to go. It, the, the, these crisis moments, these, these crisis situations where maybe you've done something, maybe something's been done to you, maybe you're at the end of your hope, the end of your rope, the end of what you believe God could do for you, and, and you're just at this point of, I don't know what else to do. That's where I was in that moment. I began a process, that, process at that point that's up, it's really been going for about four years now of trying to really understand what this whole journey with Jesus was really all about because this was blindsiding me. I'd understood Jesus as being the, this savior who would come into my life and he would answer my prayers and he wanted to fill my life with love and joy and peace and I wanted all those things. I asked for all those things. I was trying to do everything I could to have those things in my life and yet they were not a reality in certain situations. And, and I would say it in many ways that they were not a reality often. In the, in the depths of who I was. And it, it, it left me there. And I, you, maybe you've been there before. Of you've you've kind of come to this place and, and things aren't working out the way you expected them to. And, and as I began to, to kind of evaluate my life and begin to discover things and God started doing some stuff and some things came in from the side that I didn't, didn't expect and some conversations and some therapy and so, some tools and some insights. And, and I would say as I've gone through this four-year growth, one of the things I've really come out as is a very kind of different version of myself, at least inwardly, on my, the interior of who I am. But it took more than just some of the basic things that I understood. It took a pretty big framework of understanding like who I am and what life is about and what Jesus came to do for me and what I struggle with and how to move forward in that. And so my goal in these next few sessions together is to kind of lay out this map for you because I happen to believe that Almost every man will find themselves, I'll say it, every man will find themselves somewhere on this map. You may not yet be at the crisis, you may be on the crisis, you may be walking through your fifth crisis. But I think what I want to help do is kind of lay out for you a lay of the land of what life looks like, then what life in Christ looks like, and then what your heart looks like, and then how you can move forward differently. That's really how we're going to do this, and I've, I've made them four S's because that's what preachers do. And so they are this, and hopefully this, is, this helps you remember them, the, the stages of the journey, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. What stage are you in, in this journey with Jesus, in this journey towards maturity, in this journey towards wholeness, in this journey towards the end goal, which I'm going to talk about the end goal tomorrow night. Then we're going to talk about, after stages, the state of our heart tomorrow morning. 
really kind of evaluating where we're at, where our hearts are at, and what's kind of swirling inside of our hearts. So an opportunity for you to get a little introspective, get a little vulnerable, think a little bit about what's going on with you. And I want to give you permission in this next few, these next couple days that we have together to be okay just thinking about you. This is one of those like, you know, when the air mask comes down in the crashing plane, you're supposed to put the oxygen on yourself before the person next to you. I want you to be okay just putting the oxygen on yourself for, for these, this next day and a half together, okay? So we're going to do state of heart, and then we're going to talk about our systems, like our, our, our navigation system, and really what it is that's guiding and leading our life. Because you may or may not know this, but there's a set of principles, values, hopes, and dreams that are guiding and leading most of the decisions in your life, most of the ways that you respond to things, and a lot of us don't even really know what that is. We think we might be able to understand it, but I think if you dig beneath the surface, maybe um, you might discover some new things about what's actually motivating you. And then lastly, what are the steps to get unstuck? What are the steps to move forward? What are the steps to get beyond? the crisis, okay? And so as we talk through this, I believe we're going to be able to move forward. I believe you're going to find some hope. I believe there's going to be some wind in your sails. Does that sound good? Y'all feel good about where we're headed? Good. You have to nod right now or I go home and y'all eat meat and I don't know what else to tell you. Okay, John 21, turn there. This is going to be kind of our primary spot. We're going to be talking a lot about the life of Peter. This is actually going to be on the screen. A lot of what I'll read tonight won't be, but this one will be because it's kind of our foundational passage. And we're going to really approach scripture in this time together. I know a lot of you just from different churches and the way your pastors preach or the way you approach scripture might look different. The way we're going to kind of do things is a little bit more from from kind of uh, creative imagination is what I want to say. And that doesn't mean creative interpretation. But what it means is if, if I were the character in that story, it, what would be going on inside of me? And how does, how does this story paint a picture for what may be happening in my life? Okay, it's a particular way to approach scripture and it's going to be helpful for us. And so um, we're going to be diving into the life of Peter here and there. In John chapter 21, just a reminder, if it's been a while for you or if you've never read this particular portion of Scripture, Jesus at this point has died He's risen again, and he's in the process of revealing himself to his disciples as now the risen Lord. In this particular story, they're out in their boats, and they're fishing. They've gone back to life as they knew it before Jesus, which is making a living fishing. And they are now fishing again. Jesus shows up to them on the shore. They've been fishing all night. He says, try the other side of the boat. They try the other side of the boat and have this huge haul. Peter says, my Savior, my Lord, and he dives into the water and swims to shore. He and Jesus have a very intense conversation about their relationship. And then this is where we're going to pick up, is toward the end of that conversation. Jesus says this to Peter, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Jesus, Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, tradition tells us that Peter eventually gave his life as a martyr, that he was crucified on a cross, but upside down because he requested that he not be crucified in the same fashion that his Lord and Savior was crucified. 
And so he was crucified upside down. At least that's what tradition tells us, which is very true to what we see Jesus telling him about the type of death that he would eventually enter into. Someone will stretch out your hands and will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. But, but there's, there's something else here beyond just the prophetic statement of Peter's life and death that I, we're going to kind of build off of as we go through this time together. And, and it's this. It's this paradigm for, for how life tends to work. All right? And th- this is just life for all people. This is just kind of the way that we, we understand life. And this was unpacked in the, in the ancient church. I think it was... Um, Thomas Aquinas is the one who I think unpacked it this way, but, but it kind of, it gives us, if we can get our imagination in this, it can kind of speak into the life that many of us do live and often don't recognize it as we're living of it in it. And it's, it's simply the, the young and the old paradigm is, is how it's framed. There, there is a young phase and there is an old phase for, for every single one of us. How many of you would say, I'm in the young phase of the paradigm? I'm not giving you any definitions yet. I just want to see what you think. It's not about right or wrong. It's how you feel. Only a couple of you would say young, okay? The rest of you would say old then. Can you agree to old? Raise your hand if you'd say, yeah, I'm in the old. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay, okay, okay. You may change that the more we talk about this a little bit. And again, it's not about right or wrong. It's, right, how much joy you have in your heart. How young you feel. No, but, but, but the young and the old paradigm is, is really this, that, that there's a first half and a second half to life. And the first half of life is, is when you are young. And it's not young like I'm a baby, like I'm being dressed. And, and what Jesus talks about here is when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. And, and the young half of life is really characterized by a sense of independence. It's, it's kind of this place in life where you're kind of just getting to do what you want to do. You're kind of getting to go where you want to go. You're kind of getting to spend how you want to spend. You're kind of getting to live how you want to live. For many of us, that is kind of our 18 to, to maybe mid to late 20s. And depending on maybe when you had got married and started having kids and got a serious job and those types of things. For me, interestingly enough, that was the season of life where I thought I had dealt with my temper. The reality was I was just getting to live my best life. I was single. I had all that I needed. I was in a job that I loved. I was married without kids, which was amazing, right? You run around the house naked and have sex as much as you want to and nobody cares, right? Or we do care. We enjoy it deeply, right? It's you know, like, it was the best. Like, and I thought, man, I've matured so much. You didn't, I didn't mature at all. I was just getting everything I ever wanted at the, in that phase of my life, right? And that's the young phase of our lives when there's a sense of independence, there's a sense of agency, there's a sense of autonomy that allows us to live really around the parameters and the expectations that we set for ourselves. And then there's the old phase. And he says this, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now the old phase is characterized by the responsibilities The demands, the relationships, the expectations. There's a word for it now. It's called adulting, right? It's become a verb. I'm adulting right now because I'm doing my laundry, right? These are the kind of things we hear in our world today. It's it's getting to this place where you recognize that, that your life is not just your own, but you're actually needing to live for someone else and live to someone else. And so there's the young and there's the old. There's kind of the independence and there's the dependence. A man by the name of 
Ronald Rollheiser. I think it's Ronald. It might be Richard, but it's Rollheiser. He talks about the struggle of the young and the struggle of the old. And he says this, and so if you, if you would kind of consider yourself still in that young phase of life where you're kind of footloose and fancy free and kind of living life the way you enjoy to live life, this, this may speak to you, okay? So the, the struggle of the young is the struggle to get your life together. Struggle to get your life together. There's three primary questions you've got to be able to answer as you grow into maturity, and the really people characterize them as the questions that you ask and then answer usually in your 20s. Who will I be? Who will I love and who will I worship? Who will I be? Who will I love? Who will I worship? Who will I be? What have I got to do with my life? What's going to come of my life? What am I going to produce? What am I going to create? What er am I going to be? A doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a father? Like like what what ers are going to be placed on my life? And and then the next is who am I going to love? Who am I eventually going to marry and and become one with? And and now the the younger generations are even asking what what gender will I love first? And then they're asking and then within that gender who will I love? These are the questions that are now being asked by by this particular Gen X generation. Gen Z generation. And then the last question, what will I worship? Who will I worship? And, and who will I worship could be not just in a religious sense. It could be, I'm, I'm going to worship my career. Like I'm doing whatever it takes to move and, and, and to, to climb the ladder. Or, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make the money and to get the paycheck. Or I'm going to do whatever it takes to build my reputation. I'm going to do what, what, whatever you're whatever it takes. That, that's what you're probably worshiping, right? And, and so these are three really important questions. If you don't answer them, usually in your 20s, you'll wrestle with them continually. Because this is the struggle of the young, is it's this struggle to get your life together to kind of put some major pieces of your life in place, and they usually don't fall into place, so it is a struggle. It is a struggle. But the struggle is important, and the struggle is part of the process. And so the temptation in that season of our lives when we're young, the temptation of the young is to evade the struggle, right? To, To get around it. To go over it, to go under it, to go around it, but I don't want to go through it, right? And, and that, that, is, that is the temptation of the young, is to say, how can I get around the struggle and not get through the struggle? And so what comes is a mindset that says, whatever feels good, whatever feels right, whatever feels comfortable, whatever feels enjoyable, whatever feels easy, whatever falls into my lap, right? This is the, these are the temptations of the young, and the, but the challenge of the young is to be able to focus all of that energy into things that matter. Because when you are young, you do have passions, you do have dreams, you do have hormones that you're trying to figure out what to do with, you have desires, you have hopes, you have your whole life in front of you. And, and the, the goal of the young is to, to focus that energy into the best places you can focus it. Sexuality is, is one of the easiest things to talk about because it's, it's the clearest thing to talk about. That when we enter into to, to puberty, we have all of these hormones and all of this curiosity and all of these hopes and all of these dreams. And, and, and really the goal, though, in that season is not to express that energy in every direction. The goal of that season is to focus that energy, to keep it in check until you come into relationship with the one that God has for you, right? 
Side note, funny story, recently my son, who um, learned about sex um, as a third grader at our elementary school retreat on the back row of the bus from his buddy, okay, um, we found out when we came to pick him up that he and his buddy were yelling vagina over and over again um, in the back of the bus. Um, so we had a long talk that night um, about sex. I'd never talked to him about it before. And I, and I needed to know, first of all, what do you know about this? so that I can maybe fill in the blanks and maybe I don't have to say too much. And he actually had been given a pretty good lesson in, in, in what sex was by his other third grade buddy. Um, and so then I, I followed that up with, okay, you know, here's a few things I want to fill in that I think you're missing. What questions do you have? And his questions were like, um, so like, why? Why do you do it? And I said, well, it's, it's actually pretty enjoyable, though right now I know it feels, sounds disgusting to you. I said, but it's, it's, it's the way that we express love to one another. And he said, okay, so, you know, we, we express, it's one of the ways we express love. Okay, so it, it happens in marriage, we express that love. Okay, okay, so how many times, like, what, what, what's the purpose, like, long term? Well, you, it, you know, you create a baby. And, okay, so you and mom have done it four times, is that right? And, and like, no, we've, we've done it a little bit more than that over the years. And he, he, he's like, okay, so when do you do this? Like, at what time of day? And, and where? And, 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 and so, you know, I was able to say, well, you know, in, you know, in bed and, you know, we, you know, we get naked and in the bed. He's like, oh, my God, like, what? This is so weird. And, and so I, I kind of go through the whole deal and I explain pretty detailed what all happens. And that night he runs up to bed. My wife had left the room by this point. And he runs up to bed to tell her good night and says, I know what you and dad do in here. And he ran off to bed. So just to follow that up, I hope I'm not taking too much time, but this is fun for me. So last week, he's at school, and he's, they have free time, and he's on his little laptop, and um, they can draw during free time. He loves to draw football players. He's obsessed with football. And so of all football players, he types in Tony Gonzalez, because he's all into, like, the legends is what he calls them right now. And so he types in Tony Gonzalez. He looks at Google Images, and he scrolls across a picture of, of Tony and a woman having sex. And he throws his computer down immediately and, and just turns blood red. His friends ask him what happened. He tells his friends what happened. They begin to tell everybody else. And so when my wife comes to pick him up from school, he's just beat red. And she said, what happened? And he said, I, I saw a picture and it was an inappropriate picture. And I closed my computer, but now everyone knows and they're going to tell their parents and I'm going to get in trouble. So he said, let's go talk to the principal. So we, we went and talked to the principal. And, you know, he said, here's what I saw. And it was awful. And it was so inappropriate. And so the principal is great. This is a Christian school. So he, like, prays with him. And he encourages him. He tells him, you did the right thing. And we're going to talk to our IT guy and get him fired because that's terrible. And, you know, they're, they're, they're in panic mode right now at a Christian school that this got through. So I'm just thinking to myself that night, I wonder what he saw. Like, I don't, I wonder if it really was what he thought it was, because he said there was like words on the screen, and you couldn't quite see everything, but you could tell what they were doing, and I wish I could show you the picture, I wish I'd planned ahead for this, but if you look up Tony Gonzalez, Google Images, and you flip through a little bit, you'll see a, a it's a PETA uh, commercial that he did with his wife, PETA, you know, the um, animal advocacy group, and it's them with this, this thing that says, we'd rather wear nothing than furs. And so it's he and his wife, and they're naked, but they're sitting like, she's like, they're kind of like Indian style. She's like Indian style. He's behind her, and you can't really see anything, but he's wrapped up, he's wrapped her up, and, and it just says, it, you know, there's the words in front of their nakedness, okay? 
Um, and I'm immediately thinking to myself, if I don't clear this up, my son's going to have an awkward wedding night. If he thinks this is what sex is. And so I, the next day I, I showed it to him and I said, hey, Charlie, is this the picture you saw? And he's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, what are you showing me that for? And we had a great conversation. But I say all of that to say, first of all, because it's entertaining. But second of all is sexuality is it's alive and it's real inside of us. Right from, a, from an early age, there's, there's things beginning to bud, and then we enter into adolescence, we enter into college. And, and if, if, if the goal is just to let what, do whatever feels good happen, then we're going to find ourselves in all kinds of trouble and have all kinds of turmoil, in, internally, externally, all kinds of stuff. But if we recognize that the, the goal of the young is probably the best way for me to say it, not the challenge, but the goal of the young is actually to focus that energy, then we can begin to see that energy is not a bad thing. It's actually a God-designed thing, but I need to focus it in the right direction. And then you can apply that same concept to, to dreaming into your future and, and, and looking into your career and, and thinking into the type of person you want to become. Because the struggle of the young is to get their life together, but the goal of the young is to energize that focus, is to focus their energy, sorry, to, to, to get going in the right direction. Now, some of you, as I say that, may say, no, I relate actually a little bit more with the young. I'm in a season of my life. And again, there's not hard and fast ages around that. But I'm in a season of my life where I'm asking the questions, who am I going to be? Who am I going to love? Who am I going to worship? Or I'm I'm trying to focus my energy towards the things that matter most. And you may actually be able to say in this season of your life, I actually am more in the young phase than the old phase. Now, contrast this now with the the older phase. And the goal in me explaining this to you is I want you to be able to place yourself in your, de- in, in your kind of development as a human, your development as a man. So here, here's the old. The old, the struggle of the old is where the struggle of the young is to get your life together. The struggle of the old to give your life away. Recognizing that your life is actually not your own and it never was. And that, that the fullness of life is actually found when you live for the sake of something beyond yourself. The struggle of the old is often the thing that people rarely accomplish. It's rarely stepped into. Most people never recognize that their life was actually meant to be given away. They give it away, but they give it away begrudgingly, right? They help out with the kids because they have to. They show up at the games because it's what's expected of them. They do the job because they don't want to get fired, They love their wife because they don't want to get in trouble. They try to be a decent friend because they want someone to watch the game with. Like it's not really a sense of my life is meant to be given away. It's just more this is kind of what you have to do as an adult now. Fulfill your responsibilities, do your duties, finish the drill, be decent in, in the things that God's put into my life. But when you actually understand that the goal of the old, or I say say the struggle of the old, is to give your life away, then you you can put your mind on the goal. And the goal is to to get to a point of of selflessness, to get to a point to recognize that your life is actually better lived in the hands of someone else, the hands of God, and in the hands of those who God's put you in relationship with so that you can be a blessing to, so that you can give to, so that you can serve. When you don't live from that revelation, that understanding, the end result is depression, 
anxiety, sleepless nights, midlife crisis, loneliness, and potentially worse and worse things that you may turn to. When you enter into the life of the old and you do what Jesus was saying is going to happen in Peter's life, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you, will have demands upon you, will determine your schedule, determine where your money goes, determine where your time goes, determine where your focus goes, and they will lead you maybe where you do not want to go. But Jesus says this as a a prophetic statement For Peter, it was a prophetic statement of the kind of death he would die. For us, I believe it's an insight into the type of life that we're called to live when we choose to die. When we actually choose to die to ourselves and recognize that our lives are meant to be given away. The temptation of the old is to start over or to give up. Rollheiser talks about the fact that many men start over and never become men. Because every time they hit their wall, they reset. I'm just going to start over with a new family. Start over with a new career. Start over with a new dream. Start over in a new community. Start over with a new church. Right? It, it, when, when things get hard, we often want to hit the reset button. And we actually don't go through the very thing that God is trying to use to grow us up and give us an even greater and deeper life on the other side. So let me contrast these again, just so you really get it. The struggle of the young is to get your life together. The struggle of the old is to give your life away. The challenge, I would say it this way, of the young is to answer those key questions and then to focus their energy. And the challenge of the old is to begin to recognize life is not theirs to live and to begin to lean into those that God has put in their life. Now, now here's what I want to do. This, this, this balance between the young and the old is I want to, I want to look at kind of a, the way our spiritual lives overlay this. And so what I, what I just laid out to you, the young and the old, is just kind of life, right? That's just the way life is going to be whether you know Jesus or not. It's just human development. And now I want to overlay that with spiritual development. And I think it'll give you some insights on kind of where you are and what stage you're at in the journey. Matthew chapter 14, this is another story of Peter. It's not going to be on the screen because I want you to imagine it. Jesus, well, we'll just pick up verse 22 of Matthew 14. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so they're, they're, they're on the shores, they get into a boat, they ship off into the night while Jesus hangs out. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land. He just got lost in the presence of God, being with his Savior, I mean, being with his God, loving his Father. And then he realizes, okay, I've, I've got to go out to these people. And it says that the, bo- the boat was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake... Remember, this had never been done before. Nobody, there wasn't a previous story like this that they were expecting. Like, we, we expect Jesus to walk on water. They did not expect Jesus to walk on water. 
Okay, and so they saw him and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I love his faith. His, his, his idea, his understanding of a disciple and a rabbi says this, that, that a, a disciple is to, to imitate their rabbi in every way possible. So Peter sees his rabbi on the water and he thinks to himself, I can do that too because I follow this man. And so Peter goes out onto the water, it says. He walks on the water. We don't know if it was two steps or whether it was a hundred steps. It doesn't matter. It's amazing that he was able to do this. And he came towards Jesus in verse 30. But then he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down and those who were with him in the boat, worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Beautiful story. And I believe that this story actually has a lot to say to us about our lives. And not, no promises here that you're ever going to walk on water. But, but I think it has some things to say about our lives. And the first is that this journey of our spiritual lives involves three stages, really, for, for every single one of us. Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Orientation is this. It's, it's when we come to know Jesus on terms that make sense to us. We come to know Jesus on terms that make sense to us. And so here, here's what I mean by that. You, you said yes to Jesus at a Baptist church camp like I did. That made sense to me. I'd never heard the gospel. If you invite Jesus into your heart, then you will be forgiven and you will go to heaven and be with him forever. That made sense to me. And I said yes to that right? Like, like maybe it was in your home and through your family. Maybe it was through a relationship. Maybe it was at a retreat like this. But many times our orientation is our beginning relationship with Jesus that, that begins on terms that make sense to us. We begin to recognize and, and hear this amazing story that though we are imperfect, though we're broken, though we're sinful, the God of the universe sent his son to die on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins and then to be resurrected for the fullness of life. And to say yes to that story is one of the greatest yeses we can ever say. But if we're honest, many of us said yes to that story within a context that felt at home to us. Okay, Peter here, it says at the very beginning of this, Peter, we know, had a relationship with Jesus already. We know that he saw himself as a disciple and Jesus was his rabbi, his teacher, his master. So he had this type of relationship with Jesus. Jesus, it says in verse 22, Jesus made the disciples go out into the boat, right? This is where they're comfortable. They know boat life. Peter especially knows boat life because he was a fisherman. He understands how to handle the waves. He understands how to handle the wind. He understands how to make it across the lake. And he had a relationship with Jesus. This is orientation. This is the way I expect it to be, the way it should be, the way mommy said it would be, the way pastor said it would be, the way I understand it to be, right? But then there's this next phase of our spiritual development, and it's called disorientation. Peter goes out onto the water. He experiences an amazing miracle, which many of us have experienced amazing miracles, especially early in our life. It was maybe that thing that locked us into understanding that this is actually real. 
We were freed from an addiction. We, we finally found hope. We, 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 we put ourselves on a path that, that was life, that maybe God showed up in a way that, that was remarkable. But we experienced something in God that kind of locks us in. And we know like this is good. We're, we're on the right path. And then disorientation often kicks in. Okay, it says this, that Peter be, was beginning to sink. Okay, he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. At some point in your life, there will be a crisis moment where you see the wind, you begin to sink, and you get afraid. If you haven't experienced it yet, it's coming. If you've already experienced it, it's okay because it's normal life. The transition from the young to the old often requires some type of crisis. It often requires some type of wall, some type of of real battle that we have to go to in order to enter into the next phase of our life and eventually enter into maturity. Disorientation is when Jesus doesn't do what we expect him to do. Disorientation, it's raining hard. Disorientation is when he doesn't come through like we expected him to come through. Disorientation is when the prayer doesn't get answered, the relationship didn't work. The career comes to a dead end. Life is harder than you thought it would be. The demands never end. It's not as fulfilling as you thought it would be. The house isn't as great as you thought it would be. The car didn't satisfy you like you thought it would. The promotion didn't matter after two months. You look back and you realize that this dream didn't come true. This dream didn't come true. This dream didn't come true. And those are just the normal versions. Then there's the extreme versions. Real loss, the death of a loved one, the destruction of a relationship, a habit that becomes an addiction and gets the better of you. These are all times of disorientation. And oftentimes, what happens in the midst of disorientation is God wants to meet us there to move us forward but we miss the opportunity. Many times the the way that we respond to disorientation is we swim back or we give up. We just go back. It's interesting to me that that in this story that, that Peter does this when it comes to his disorientation. He cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. If you're tempted to think it was his only option, It's not because we know in in chapter 21 of John that he can swim. He swam to Jesus from when he he saw him on the shore. So we knew that he could have swam. He could have gone back. He could have said, you're not who I thought you were. I'm gonna go back to where I was. I'm gonna go back to my orientation. I'm gonna go back to normal life when things were a little bit safer and a little bit the way I expect them to be. Like out here on the waters is a little bit too scary for me. And many times when we're faced with crisis, that's what we do. I'm just gonna go back. And so maybe we give up, maybe we cheat and take the shortcut, maybe we medicate, maybe we blow up the relationship or blow up the opportunity, but many, in every one of those situations, the, the goal we're trying to do, we're trying to get back. I'm going to get back to safety. I want to get back to just what, what I know that I think I can control because this crisis is too much. But what God wants to do, us to do is what Peter did. Peter cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. 
immediately. Now he says to him after this, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? There's a lot of questions about that, about what, what did Jesus really mean, you have little faith, and, and, and what did, how, what does that really communicate to Peter? All that aside, what catches my attention is that the first thing Jesus did was saved him. And then he had a conversation with him. As, as Peter's drowning, he didn't say, man, come on. Like, believe a little harder. Like, pick yourself up. Like, like I'm here. Like, I'm doing it. Can't you do it? You've been following me for long enough. Like, I expect more of you. Like, he didn't give him a lecture while he's drowning in the water. He just saved him. He just took care of him. He reached out and he, he, he took a hold of him. And then they had a conversation. But then they did something really interesting. It says in verse 32, they climbed back into the boat and the wind died down. They got into the boat together this time. Peter didn't go back alone. Peter didn't go back to life as it was. Peter was now entering into this phase that we call reorientation. It's life on the other side of the crisis. Life on the other side of the failure. Life on the other side of the disappointment. Life on the other side of the struggle. It's actually where we find maturity. Rollheiser explains that our culture is filled with young boys because very few men have made it through the crisis. Bob Goff says it in a much easier way. He says, I've spent my life resisting the things that God wants to use to grow me. Isn't it interesting that, that the things in life that tend to go our way, the things in our lives that tend to feel good, the things in our lives that, that we kind of hashtag blessed um, are, are usually not the things that actually grow us the most. They're the things that feel the best, but they're often not the things that grow us the most. The, 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 the promise that comes your way, the, the gift that's given to you, the opportunity that falls into your lap, the, that, that just gift from the Lord that just shows up right in time, that's often not the thing that grows you the most. It was the months of waiting that grew you that before that blessing came into your life. It was the uncertainty with the provision come through. It was the, the, the dark night of the soul when you weren't sure where God was, probably that grew you more than when he showed up, right? God uses the crisis. He uses the struggle to make us into the men that he desires us to be, but we have to be willing to go through the crisis. And I believe that we can take a cue from Peter's life. And this is how we're gonna wrap this time up together tonight. We can take a cue from Peter's life for how he responded to his crisis how he responded to his disappointment, how he responded to his failure, his Jesus, you didn't meet my expectations, his I didn't measure up, is that it simply says he cried out, Lord, save me. And the, the picture that I have of him crying out, Lord, save me, is, again, we're using creative imagination here. I'm imagining it wasn't Peter just kind of doing the dead man's float in the water and calmly lifting his head up and saying, hey, Jesus, can you, can you help me here? Can you save me here? I, what I imagine here is arms flailing, Lord, save me. Like, Lord, grab a hold of me. Like, grab a hold of anything, my pinky. It doesn't matter. Just grab a hold of me because I'm going to die if you don't grab a hold of me. The wind is blowing. The waves are high. Grab a hold of me. 
And, and really what it's a beautiful picture of is surrender, right? What is this? It is the international sign of surrender, right? Doesn't matter what nation you're in, doesn't matter what war you're fighting, what policeman pulls you over. If you do this, you're, you're saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming at you, right? And I, and I can just imagine Peter in the water in the midst of his crisis, Lord, save me. I surrender. I can't make sense of this. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what the right response is, but I do know in terms of the steps I need to take, but I do know you are the right response. And I want to give us an opportunity as we wrap this time up to consider some surrender in our lives. Many of us know Jesus as Savior, the one who's forgiven us of our sins, but a lot of times we haven't yet encountered him in a real way as our Lord, the one who actually leads our lives. Forgiveness comes through this act of faith to say, I actually believe that your death and your resurrection mattered and they can be applied to my life for the forgiveness of my sins. But lordship, that's, that's how salvation comes, but lordship really comes in this place of surrender where we say, no, I, I, want, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to take it. I want you to have it. And it says here that Peter was afraid. And I think when you're truly surrendering, I think there's a little fear involved because there's some uncertainty involved. Like, like real surrender is, is, is that, that place in your life that you probably don't want to let go of because you're not quite sure what Jesus would do with it. You don't quite want to release because you're not quite sure what the outcome would be. The beginning point of surrender is to say, God, have it all. Have my life, like, like take over. But as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, what we'll find is he invites us into more specific areas of surrender as he gets more personal and intimate with each of us. And he begins to ask us, will, will you surrender your family to me? Will you surrender your career? Will you surrender your reputation? Will you surrender your time? Will you surrender your money? Will you surrender that habit that you have at the end of the night after the kids go to bed and it's been a long day that has become such a habitual thing in your life that you can't imagine not doing it? And that could be watching TV, could be smoking weed, could be having a beer. Would you give it to them and say, I'll give you that. What do you want me to do with that? Where do you want that to go in my life? The way you operate at work, the way you operate in your relationships, your, your engagement in your church, your, your, your connection with your community. When, when surrender goes deep, it gets really personal. And there's usually some fear involved. But this little weekend is about being fearless. And we can be fearless because God is all loving. And we know this, that there's nothing he would do in our lives that would harm us. There's nothing he would do in our lives that would hurt us. It may not always be what we want it to be. Like Peter, you will go where you do not want to go. But we know this, that it will bring great, great glory to God. And in the end, it will be all good. And so here's how I want us to do this. Bo, if you want to come on up, we're just going to give you an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak into your life. What's he asking you to surrender? What's he asking you to let go of? What's he asking you to no longer fear? 
One last story as Bo's getting ready. I was painting a room in our house with the same son who I blew up on. And I kept telling him because I had the paint tray on the ground. I didn't really want him to paint with me, to be honest, because like, it just makes a mess and it takes really long and I just want to be done. I hate to paint. But he asked, can I paint with you? Can I paint with you? Can I paint with you? And I said, yeah, we can, we can paint together. Just don't step in it. Just watch the tray, watch the tray, watch the tray. Um, so I had a little podcast going, and I'm painting, and we're painting, it's great. And I'm painting, he's painting, it's great. And I'm painting, I look over, he's gone. And I looked around the room, I didn't see him anywhere. But I did see these little blue footprints going into the bathroom, and the bathroom door was shut. And so I went into the bathroom, and he's scrubbing feverishly. I was like, Hutch, bud, what are you doing? And he said, don't be mad, Dad, don't be mad, don't be mad. He had every right to believe I'd be mad at him. I'd, I'd given him every right to believe that. And in that moment, I was able to respond with grace and respond very differently than I did before. Because I was on this journey of growth. I was on this journey of development. I was on this journey of maturity. And I was able to make right something that had been made wrong and I'll have to do it over and over and over again. Some of you have a perception of God in the midst of your crisis. I gotta scrub it up. 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 I gotta get it better. Steve would never live that way. David would never live that way. Jim Cagle, Jimmy Drew, like these guys would never do this. Oh my gosh, I gotta clean it up. Gotta clean it up. Gotta clean it up. And you need to know that the Father's heart for you is to come into that secret place and say, it's not that big a deal. Like, I can do this with you. I can clean you up. I can take care of you. And to me, that's what it means to become fearless, is to recognize that his love covers all fear and makes us clean and makes us new. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna listen. I mean, we're gonna just kind of soak in this worship for a minute. You can respond however you want to respond. You can stand up, you can sit down, you can sing, you can be quiet, you can move, you can stay. We're just going to do this one song. And I just want to ask you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, where, where do I need to surrender? Where am I hiding? Where am I trying to clean it up? Where's the crisis? Where's the struggle? Where have I tried to fix it? And then when you hear that, just give it to Him. Maybe something huge, maybe something small. It may still feel silly, but it may be massive, that act of surrender. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you never leave us where we are. And we thank you that you gently and lovingly want to enter into those places in our lives that are so, so hard, often filled with disappointment, often filled with depression, often filled with shame, often filled with guilt. And we ask God, You'd meet us there right now and you'd give us the courage to surrender, the courage to reach out, the courage to give it to you, the courage to lay it down, the courage to let it go. Holy Spirit, would you move in our lives? We love you. You're so, so good, God. You're so good. And it's in your name we pray.